Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung, and welcome to Prophecy Today. I'm here at Broadcast Central in Chattanooga, Tennessee, looking forward to having an opportunity to talk with my broadcast partners today. By the way, you can probably tell by my voice that my annual summer cold has arrived and attacked my throat. I'll try not to talk very much, put my broadcast partners out front. They have the information that we need to hear anyway. I hope and pray that you can put up with my voice during this particular program. Well, let's go, as I said, directly to Ken Timmerman. He's in Europe on the ground there and watching everything that's going on. And Ken, the G7 meeting is going to be taking place. This is the first foreign trip for President Biden. Talk to me about the G7. Who attends this? What's the importance of this summit? Jimmy, you know, the G7 is actually an annual affair. It groups the seven uh, biggest economies in the world, except for China. So they've got the United States, the U.K., Canada, Japan, France, Germany, and Italy. Uh, the EU also sends a representative. Uh, sometimes Russia has been invited to these meetings. They're not obviously being invited this year, but this is something that goes on every year. And, you know, the, the president thinks that everything has changed now that Joe Biden is in the White House. The Europeans, however, understand that uh, nations don't have friends, as Churchill said, they have permanent interests. And the Europeans are going to look to see if they will get a better deal from Biden than they got from Donald Trump. Uh, Donald Trump did a number of pretty extraordinary things during his four years uh, in terms of NATO and the EU allies. He finally got NATO countries to pony up nearly $500 billion that they hadn't been paying for their common defense. The United States has been basically footing the whole bill, and President Trump intervened quite forcefully, and the NATO countries agreed. And as it turned out, the happiest person in that room whenever there was a NATO summit was Jens Stoltenberg, the NATO general secretary, because finally his alliance was getting the weapons and the manpower that it actually needed. Now, is Joe Biden going to tell the Europeans, oh, that's okay, we're going to foot the bill from now on. You don't have to pay for the common defense. You could roll back those expenditures. I'm not quite sure that he's going to do that. So the Europeans are not necessarily going to get a free ride here. They're going to find a President Biden who is most likely defending the permanent interest of the United States that President Trump so skillfully pointed out and defended. I don't think he's going to backtrack on an awful lot that the president did, that President Trump did. That, I think, is going to be the biggest news out of the summit. Ken, just a moment ago, you mentioned China. I'm wondering, is not China not being in the G7 really the elephant in the room? Well, China policy is a huge, huge issue. And President Biden has claimed he's going to have a much different approach towards communist China than Donald Trump. But so far, he hasn't lifted any of the Trump tariffs, which I think is a rather good thing. Again, permanent interests here. Nor has he really toned down the rhetoric. He's been warning, uh, at least the Secretary of State, Tony Blink, has been warning of Chinese aggression in the South China Sea and elsewhere around the world. So, there, you know, 
it's very curious, but there's a different crew in the White House. But in many ways, the message, at least towards communist China and towards Russia, is very much the same as it was during the Trump era. It's interesting that Joe Biden warned Russia right at the time he arrived in Europe against doing any harmful activities at the start of their one-on-one meeting upcoming. Boy, he's trying to do a preemptive strike, it seems to me. Is that going to work? It's going to be very interesting to watch. Uh, Vladimir Putin is a very skilled operator. Uh, He's a very savvy guy. He's also extremely alert, something you can't say about Joe Biden. And I think he is going to probably hand some surprises to the president, especially when they get to that live news conference part of the event. You know, the president has been saying, as Democrats have been saying for four years, all kinds of extraordinary falsehoods about Russia. Yes, Russia is a threat. Yes, Russia is doing things we don't like. Yes, they occupy 20% of the Republic of Georgia. But the Republic of Georgia is siding up with Iran against the United States and helping the Iranians to get around the embargo. So the Republic of Georgia isn't such a great ally either. But all of these lies and, and exaggerations about Russia, I think Putin is going to call Biden out on this. He says, well, you say that we're being aggressive, but uh, what, what is aggressive about us defending our borders? Uh, you have just held the largest NATO exercise on Russia's borders in history with 40,000 troops. Isn't that aggression, Mr. President? Uh, how do you say that that is just a defensive operation when we see it immediately on our borders? So I think Putin is going to challenge Biden and challenge some of the uh, rhetoric that the Democrats have very easily and glimply engaged in, in Washington, making Russia their whipping boy. There are a number of scheduled meetings with world leaders as Joe Biden, president of the United States, is in Europe for this first of his foreign trips. One of them will be with Tayyip Erdogan of Turkey. What do you think they're going to be talking about? Well, again, the, the Democrats have not been particularly fond of Erdogan. For a, a couple of years, Obama called him his best friend, and then he backed off. They had a, uh, you know, falling out over different issues in the Middle East in particular. But we have serious policy issues with Turkey. And we have, the United States does, and we have serious policy issues in particular with Erdogan, who supports the Muslim Brotherhood. He supports Hamas. He supports the Muslim Brotherhood government in Libya. He's supporting the Muslim Brotherhood in Syria. Certainly one of the things they will discuss is what to do about the Kurds in northern Syria. Erdogan wants a free hand to slaughter them. The United States uh, has been pulling our forces out. Donald Trump says we're not going to engage in these endless wars all over the universe. So, again, the United States has considered the Kurds to be our allies, strategic partners. How Erdogan will force that issue with Biden, again, will be something very interesting to watch. A warning coming this weekend from one of the top U.S. generals making a statement that Iran, China, and Russia are in the Middle East. They need to be watched. Can you give us some details? Well, once again, this is General Kenneth McKenzie, who's the commander of U.S. Central Command, which is basically all of those countries in the Middle East. He was talking about Iran's destabilizing activities, uh, which is the biggest threat. This is a quote from him, the biggest threat to stability in the Middle East. That's just a fact. And it's uh, rather heartening to see a U.S. commanding general telling the truth 
in public instead of trying to beat around the bush and claim that things are better than they are. This gets back to my idea that I mentioned earlier on, Jimmy, from the quote from Winston Churchill. Uh, These are permanent interests of the United States. It is a permanent interest of the United States to see a weakened Islamic Republic of Iran, uh, a country which is uh, destabilizing Yemen, it's occupying Lebanon, it's occupying Syria, uh, it controls Hamas in Gaza, and pretty much the Palestinians in the West Bank as well. Uh, they are not a force of good and sunshine. Uh, they are a force of evil, and uh, that's what General McKenzie was warning about. Another very interesting statement coming from the United Nations saying that North Korea's nuclear activities are a cause for serious concerns. Give us the details. Well, what's happened is that recently the IAEA, the International Atomic Energy Agency, has picked up new activity in a uh, nuclear site in North Korea that they believe is used for reprocessing spent fuel from the reactor to get uh, plutonium. And they haven't yet been able to verify. They've not had people on the ground in North Korea since 2009. So all of this is done through basically spy satellites, overhead imagery. It's unclear exactly what's happening at that site. Some people believe that because the reactor has been shut down for a couple of years, they are trying to restart it, and the North Koreans are having problems with that. Uh, They've seen steam rising from one of the radiochemistry laboratories at that reactor site, Yangbyon, just recently. So the warning issued by the IAEA director is essentially a wake-up call. He's saying, don't think North Korea has sailed off into the sunset. They've still got that nuclear genie, and he's escaped from the bottle. And President Biden, still in the future is going to have to deal with the North Korean threat to the United States as well. Do you not think, Ken? Oh, absolutely, Jimmy. And it's pathetic in some ways to watch the policy statements and positions of this administration because essentially Biden defines himself as being the anti-Trump. So if Trump did it, Biden uh, criticizes it. And yet in many cases he does the same thing while criticizing Trump at the same time. With the vaccine, remember, he said, well, you know, under Trump, we didn't have a vaccine, and now we're going to just, well, come on, the vaccine was developed uh, by Operation Warp Street under the Trump presidency. Without that, there would be no vaccine in the United States today. Uh, Donald Trump kept North Korea from uh, testing nuclear weapons for for three years, and he did that through personal diplomacy, meeting with Kim Jong-il, criticized widely for it by Democrats in Congress, and yet that policy was successful in at least calming the tensions. Now, uh, young Tim feels neglected, and when he feels neglected, he likes to rattle his sabers. That's what he's doing right now. He's trying to get the attention of the United States. Uh, So far, he hasn't gotten it. This is the reason, friends, that we bring Ken Timmerman to the broadcast table. This conversation, key for each and every one of us, understanding geopolitical activities happening around the world. Ken, thank you very much. Great report. We'll talk again next week. Jimmy, it's always my pleasure. I hope you recover from that uh, summer cold. Thank you very much, my good friend. We're going to have to take a break. When we come back, David Dolan's standing by. He's got his Middle East News update. It's upcoming right here on Prophecy Today. Prophecy Today. 
The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His Scriptures for for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy D. Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Prophecy Today is heard all across the USA on the Prophecy Today radio network, but also it is heard around the world through our website at prophecytoday.com. And Jay, there are many other features on our prophecytoday.com website, like daily news updated out of the Middle East as it pertains to what's happening prophetically. Special reports can be heard right on our website at prophecytoday.com. We have Prophecy Q&A available for you. Questions asked in the past can be answered on the website if you just check it out and go to that particular spot. Prophecy Quiz is available, and parts of our Prophecy Today program, if you should miss any part of it, will be heard the next week right here at prophecytoday.com. And don't forget, you can even email your questions to us for our live radio broadcast. Just go to our website at prophecytoday.com. You'll be amazed, you'll be surprised at what you'll find on our website. Be sure to visit us at prophecytoday.com on the World Wide Web. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central with bad voice because of the summer cold. But we're bringing our broadcast partners to the table to give you the information they need to get to you. You don't need to hear me. You need to hear them. And David Dolan is at the broadcast table to give us his Middle East news update. This is a key report for those of us who are students of Bible prophecy. And David, it looks like the religious community, the Herodim, in Israel, the very orthodox religious group in Israel, does not like the new prime minister upcoming. They have said in a demonstration this last week that Naftali Bennett is evil. They're going to fight him all the way. Can you give us some insight on this story? Well, Jimmy, first of all, it's a in-family fight, as it were, since uh, Naftali Bennett, as we've noted before, is a observant Jew. He wears a kippah. He's not a member of the ultra-Orthodox community, but he is an Orthodox Jew and shares most of the same values and religious views as they do. But they see him as betraying their community, the ultra-Orthodox Jew. And, of course, for the first time in many years, no ultra-Orthodox parties are in the government, and the only religious party is really Bennett's seven-seat party, and even that is not that part to the right in terms of its views. They see it as a betrayal, as you said, that he should be staying in their camp, he should not be forming a government with an Arab party in it, with Merits, the far-left anti-religious party, very anti-religious they are, 
So they feel betrayed. And, uh, of course, Benjamin Netanyahu definitely feels the same. And he'll be working, uh, say the analysts, until the last minute tomorrow when the government is supposed to be sworn in at the Knesset on Sunday. They'll be waiting to see what's going on. But he is trying, it seems, to scuttle that to still get one or two members of that coalition, especially a couple in Bennett's own party that are pretty right-wing, to not support the party in the uh, the new coalition in the end. But as of Friday, all the agreements were signed between the eight parties that this coalition is going forward, and all of the 61 members said they will support it on Sunday and won't back out. So it looks like it will be formed. And as you said, the ultra-Orthodox in particular are not very thrilled about that. David, it does not matter who the next prime minister of Israel is. There's still the Iranian threat of a nuclear program that's trying to put a weapon of mass destruction together to go after the Jewish state. And that may well be the first test that this new government will have. Do you agree? Well, Jimmy, according to the American Secretary of State, uh, Anthony Blinken, this week testifying before the Congress, Iran shows no signs of wanting to rejoin the nuclear deal, even though negotiations are going on. He noted that they are enriching uranium far beyond what they were allowed to under that accord. Meantime, the Washington Post reported that Russia is supplying Iran with an advanced spy satellite, really, that uh, will be stationed over the Middle East and can follow all of Israel's uh, army movements and American troop movements in Iraq and that sort of thing. So there's no sign that Iran is backing down from full steam ahead on developing a nuclear weapon. The breakout, Blinken said, is just uh, a few weeks uh, at this point. They could be actually uh, producing them any time, basically. So definitely this will be a major issue that the new government in Israel will have to face and have to deal with. And it does look like they'll have to do that rather quickly. And again, if all eight parties would support military action against Iran, if that's deemed necessary, that would be remarkable, given that one of those parties is an Islamic Arab party. There are on party, only four seats, but that's enough to collapse the government if they were to pull out. So a showdown seems to be coming. Of course, Iran's very aware of what's going on in Israel, and they might see this as just another reason to go for broke at this time. A very dangerous situation indeed. David, about two weeks ago, Egypt brokered a ceasefire between Israel and Hamas. However, the Israeli Defense Force now questioning if, in fact, Egypt did not double-cross them. Can you give us more details on this story? Well, Jimmy, yes, the Egyptians announced they would open a new crossing into Gaza from the Sinai. This would bypass Israel's control entirely, and they could bring whatever in and out they wanted to. And in fact, over the last uh, 10 days, they've been bringing in cement trucks and all sorts of stuff to rebuild uh, some of the damaged and destroyed buildings uh, from the short 11-day war. And uh, they vow to basically rebuild Gaza. And there is some speculation that Egypt might even attempt to take back over control of the territory. Actually, the Israelis wouldn't probably mind that very much. They would be more moderate under al-Sisi, the Egyptian president, than Hamas certainly is. But, Jimmy, tensions are very high still. 
We had on Thursday a deadly clash in the Palestinian town of Jenin, north of Jerusalem, when Israeli undercover, so plainclothes uh, security forces went in to arrest a couple wanted terrorists, one from Islamic Jihad. He was killed in an exchange, but the two terrorists uh, went over towards the Palestinian Authority police station, and they were hiding there. And the Israelis shot at the Palestinians. The security forces, because they were in plain clothes, the Israelis didn't uh, know what was going on. They thought they were under attack, so they came out firing, and two Palestinian Authority agents basically were killed. That hasn't happened in some time, Jimmy, and tensions are very, very high. Hamas is openly calling now for a renewal of the uprising, saying we will defend the West Bank. And even Mahmoud Abbas, the PA leader, has to be very mute about this. But he seems to be in a corner here. He can't appear to be working with Israel too closely. This could develop into another wave of violence. And tensions are very, very high, Jimmy. But Gaza remains a tinderbox, and uh, Egypt's role in it, we're just not sure. But they're definitely acting to rebuild as quickly as they can the damage there. We always know that uh, the Temple Mount in Jerusalem will be a center of controversy. Looks like this week there was a Jewish member of Knesset that endeavored to go up onto the Temple Mount. He was refused entrance to this sacred piece of real estate for the Jewish people. However, at the same time, there were a number of Arab members of Knesset got a free pass. That's not going to work among the Jewish community, will it, David? Well, Jimmy, no. It's a reversal of what has been the policy under the Netanyahu government over the past few years to pretty much allow Jews up on the Temple Mount, apart from certain days when the Palestinians have their special uh, feast days and that sort of thing. But, uh, yeah, this was a real setback. The Knesset member wanted to go up. He has every legal right to do so, he said, and the police stopped it. Well, this comes amid reports that the Biden administration is putting strong pressure on Naftali Bennett and Yair Lapid, the two new leaders of the uh, new government, to calm the situation in Jerusalem, to do nothing, to light up the situation, as one quote, and to, you know, really tamp down everything there. And the Palestinians, uh, Hamas, we just talked about, they, of course, seized on this and said, no Jews up there at all anymore. We are going to defend Al-Aqsa. They continue to talk like that every day. So that is the issue that the Palestinians and Muslims everywhere really use uh, against Israel more than any. That's the touchstone, and uh, that is the most sensitive site on earth, real estate-wise, And indeed, uh, the situation there is also very, very roiling. However, I did notice that Israel did approve the flag march to celebrate Jerusalem Day and let the leaders of the flag march go into the old city. They did, Jimmy. That's supposed to take place now on Tuesday. It was postponed from earlier, but they have changed the route the police have. They won't let them enter through Damascus Gate which was one of the flashpoints of the violence over the past couple months. They instead will go through Jaffa Gate uh, near the Jewish quarter, the Armenian quarter really, but the Christian quarter near there too, and then march to the wall of the old city. But there is speculation now, Jimmy, that this may again be postponed because of that uh, shooting incident I just talked about, because tensions are so high right now in the whole area that 
This is seen as possibly a spark, and certainly the White House is uh, asking that it be canceled entirely, so we'll just have to see if it actually takes place. And all the tensions that are focused on in my conversation with David Dolan are a part of a prophetic scenario uh, that will, of course, be that end-time scenario that we see approaching very, very quickly. And that's the reason we continually bring David Dolan to this broadcast table to give us all the latest information. We're going to continue to do that, David, until the rapture, and then both of us will be leaving. I'm looking forward to the rapture, aren't you? I'm looking forward to being with the Lord for all eternity, indeed. And when he comes, we'll all rejoice. God bless, Jimmy. Have a good week. Yes, you too. God bless. Well, we're going to take a break. Coming back in a moment with Winky Madad at the broadcast table. He's going to go in-depth on this new government, what they may be doing, what their possible plan for the future is. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Have you always wanted to visit the land of Israel? Imagine what it would be like to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. With Joshua Travel, you can visit Israel past, present, and prophetic. The Bible will come alive as you see places like the shepherd's field where our Lord was born, Caesarea Philippi, Cana of Galilee, Capernaum, the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Garden Tomb. You'll even experience an exciting boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time to not just visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. Call Joshua Travel today at 423-821-3635 to find out more about this trip of a lifetime, or you can visit us online at joshuatravel.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central in Chattanooga, Tennessee. So glad you could join us. And let me remind you once again, you're listening to a voice of an individual who has had the annual attack by the common cold. I've got a head cold, that's why the voice, but indeed, we hope that you can suffer through because I've got some great broadcast partners with very important reports that you need to hear. I promise Winky Madad, he's at the broadcast table right now, located there in the middle part of the state of Israel at Shiloh, a location with great historic and biblical background. Winky, I guess as of Sunday evening, we're going to have to have a new prime minister to talk about, Prime Minister Naftali Bennett. Your thoughts, is that most likely going to be the case in the next couple of hours? That uh, seems to be the case. By the end of last week, Netanyahu and Likud more or less yielded their efforts on their efforts to try to pull away members of Knesset from the two right-wing parties, although I probably will presume that it will continue to the very last moment. But as of uh, Friday morning, he's basically signed all the coalition agreements that have to be laid out for everybody to see. And since the swearing-in will be on the Sunday, 
evening here in Israel. We will have uh, seen them by late Friday afternoon, I presume, and to see exactly how the coalition is going to be built, who gets what, what are the uh, preferences in terms of political and ideological goals, and even some dividing up of ministries, of monies, and other policy decisions that each one of the coalition partners wants. Winky, with that in mind, then we're looking at Prime Minister Netanyahu, and he, as of today at least, he is going to be in the opposition. And as I understand the political arena in Israel, as the opposition leader, that positions him with a great opportunity to be able to bring this government down and do it really soon. Can you explain, indeed, how this government could fall, and very quickly? Well, the easiest way, of course, would be to continually to bring up issues on which the two right-wing parties who cross the floor, as we would say if we were in England, to join up with center-left and extreme-left and an Arab party, uh, will bring up these issues that they committed themselves to the voters. The more you do that, the more you embarrass them, uh, which is also, between you and me and everybody listening, what some people try to do to Netanyahu. And so these issues... Uh, would be in the area of uh, Jewish residency in Judea and, uh, and Samaria, or would be religious issues. For example, I know that the Labor Party is asking for money to have uh, public transportation on the Sabbath. Uh, that'll get them riled up. And so such issues will be kept, you know, in the headlines in high profile. Hopefully, what that means is is that the government will begin to argue among themselves, and uh, perhaps it will break up. The only thing working against that is that it's a rotation agreement, Jimmy. So Naftali Bennett gets to be prime minister for about a year and a half or so, a little bit longer maybe, 18 months maybe. And Lapid, we all know, desperately wants to be prime minister. So he might quiet everybody until he is prime minister. Uh, he doesn't care then for how long he is prime minister, but he will get that distinguished and honored position and uh, for his ego. So maybe it might not be too short a coalition, but definitely after 18 months are up uh, and the rotation goes through, the tension will be great. And then practically, the apparatus to be able to bring a government down would be a no-confidence vote of the prime minister himself, which if some of those members of that coalition do not like what's going on, they could vote against the government, and that would bring the government down. They go to another election. Is that how it works? That's the most official way, shall I call it, that it could be done. But don't forget, Jimmy, you and I have been discussing this for several times, and I pointed out, according to my belief, uh, not my uh, religious belief, but my political analysis belief, that both the Gidon Sar New Hope Party and the Naftali Bennett right-wing party are headed for oblivion in the next election because their right-wing voters will probably become disillusioned and their left-wing voters will say, well, we might as well vote straight for Lapid or Labor or any of the others. Why do we need these two fellows? And then 
perhaps two, three, or four members of Knesset will look around and say, hey, I'm going to disappear in another year or two years. Let me make a deal with Likud, and uh, I can get elected for the next one or two Knessets, depending on the deal they make or how high their position they will get. Remember, Jimmy, this is not uh, altar service, if I could use that phrase, but this is politics in the Knesset. And too many members of Knesset are there for themselves and their continued public exposure and uh, self-importance, and too few are there for really the sacred work that needs to be done in the parliamentary democracy. And Winky Madad and I will stand on the sidelines watching all of this as it is unfolding and keep you updated on what's going on. Winky, let me just take a moment. I'm going to ask you to comment, a brief comment, if you will, on how you think this new government is going to take a stand on several issues. For example, what about the relationship with the United States? How will this new government operate? Well, the new government, look, the whole idea of the new government, and anything you're going to ask me about it, is it's differing itself from Netanyahu. So for them, they see Netanyahu as abrasive and antagonistic and confrontational. And so they will sit back and, quote-unquote, try to work with the American administration. That might not get them anywhere very quickly because they will be taken advantage of. No matter what you thought of Netanyahu in terms of uh, Obama that we used to discuss years ago, he overrode the Obama administration and got a lot of good things for Israel. Uh, This incoming government, I would presume, would be very different, and I don't know how far they'll bend backwards in order to be friends with the United States. How will they handle Iran? They will definitely not try to go anywhere with military activity. I do not know if that means letting up on what Israel has been doing this past two or three years in Syria or other places around the globe where they see transfer of war material, sinking boats or hitting convoys of arms. I don't know if this government has the guts to do what Israel's uh, defense forces have been doing the past two or three years to prevent Iran from setting up bases in Syria and Lebanon. What about the conflict with Hamas in the Gaza Strip? They will probably go for some sort of a deal, even perhaps a prisoner exchange or an exchange uh, for prisoners. I really do doubt that they will involved in any conflict. They will wait very patiently before retaliating, unlike what happened uh, this past summer. Even though Bennett claims to be much more of an aggressive person on security policy than uh, Mr. Netanyahu for some reason. You mentioned earlier the Jewish settlements. I know a couple of these leaders had a relationship with the Jewish settlements. How will they handle this problem in the next administration? Well, I'm not quite sure because on several issues that I've had personal knowledge with from people who were working with the New Hope Party, for example, on making sure that Uh, Some of the issues uh, relating to Jewish residency that will be taken care of told me they were quite disappointed in their eventual summations of how their policy would be. The first test, of course, will be a a community called Evyatar, which is just north of Shiloh, whether it will be disbanded or not. 
and whether or not the uh, issues of the civil administration will be taken out of the defense ministry and put somewhere else so that it will be a more effective control over Area C and what the Arabs are trying to do there. And, Winky, somebody the other day told me they thought Naftali Bennett was very interested in the rebuilding of the next temple. I don't know if that's true or not, but how will this new government handle the Temple Mount? Well, as far as I know, Naftali Bennett is not in any way engaged in issues of a future temple or even with the Temple Mount uh, freedom of prayer or presence up there in any detailed way. He's very wishy-washy on it. I don't think he's gone up for about 15 years, unlike some of the other members of Knesset uh, from the Likud and other parties that have been there. I don't expect any positive relationship between his government and the Temple Mount. However, Winky, whoever is the leader politically of the State of Israel, God is still in charge. Would you not agree? I agree, and I know over the past 50 years that I've been involved, more or less, in the issue after coming here in 1970, that it always seems to work out the way it's written in the book, as we say. It could take a little bit more time, uh, a little bit more pain, uh, but that's the way it has been moving for the past 50 years, so I still have confidence that biblical prophecy, biblical commandments and instructions are those that still apply to the state of Israel today. And I would have to say an amen to that. And while it's all going on, Winky Madad and I will be on the sideline reporting it to you. Winky, thank you for your insight to this conversation today. Appreciate it so much. We'll talk again. I'm sure we'll have to in the very near future. Jimmy, thank you for having me on, and goodbye to you and our listeners. Winky Madad giving us great insight into the new government that will lead Israel supposedly into the future. Now, how long into the future? Well, that's anybody's guess. We'll stay on top of that story with Winky and others of my broadcast partners. Right now, though, we go to an area that is known as the European Union. The European Union has a great prophetic significance, and that's one of the reasons on a weekly basis we bring John Rood to this broadcast table. He's lived in Brussels headquarters for the EU for over 30 years. John, it's very interesting that the G7 attendees are going to be meeting in Europe, and it looks like China is going to be in their minds as they hold this meeting. The G7 pretty important as far as Europe is concerned, is it not? Indeed, the United Kingdom is actually the rotating leader this time. The United Kingdom is hosting the G7. Uh, of course, after Brexit, it's uh, sensitive, and so some of those issues will be coming up. But the group of seven, G7, is the United States, United Kingdom, Canada, Japan, France, Germany, Italy, but also the top two representatives of the European Union, Commission President and the Council President. So this particular G7 meeting, sensitive being in the United Kingdom, but then as well, this will be President Biden's first overseas trip. They're dealing as well with the China agenda, as you've mentioned. 
France very much wants to make independent decisions. The European Union has felt pressured in the past on the particular stances with China. So it appears that there's enough wiggle room here that China will essentially not be confronted, although the U.S. president is interested to bring some issues to the forefront, but economics will probably prevail. John, what do you think about NATO, North Atlantic Treaty Organization, is calling for some crunch talks with Russia as the armed forces kind of get a shakeup there at the border? Give us the latest. There's been a lot of moves now for uh, Russia to bring in extra divisions, military bodies, onto the borders of the uh, Western nations. The NATO Secretary General, he has come up and said, we really need to have some discussions here. There's a big buildup. Of course, the uh, NATO forces are doing large exercises, and uh, Russia is using this as an opportunity for building up some of their forces. Interesting to note here is that the NATO-Russia Council has not met for 19 months. And so there's a bit of a standoff here, and uh, really what it comes down to, again, is the situation in Ukraine. Russia's basically saying they don't want to hear anything about Ukraine, and so really that's the foundation which has brought some of these other issues and needs to be monitored, absolutely. John Rood reporting on the European Union, and dear friends, this is a key report because there's so much in the political that we look at, which is setting the stage for the prophetic to be fulfilled. That's why, on a weekly basis, we bring John to this broadcast table. Very good report this week, John. Appreciate it. We'll talk again next week. My pleasure. Thank you. Right now, we go to the man who covers political events happening around the world for us, and I'm talking about... Sam Rohr. Sam is the president of the American Pastors Network. He's the host for the radio program Stand in the Gap Today, which is also a television program as well. And Sam, I wanted to talk to you about a report that the White House has told the State Department they do not want the State Department using the term Abraham Accords. Now, even though there is a report that the Biden administration wants more Arab states to normalize relations with Israel, the White House did tell the State Department to stop using the term Abraham Accords. That, to me, seems like it's working at cross purposes. Your thoughts? Jimmy, I think so as well. I mean, you know, one thing about terminology Terminology is tied very closely to policy, and clearly State Department's all about policy, and this administration, in particular Biden administration, is all about politically correct terminology. And so one of the first things you learn when you're in office is define your terms when any, in any position. Define your terms. And one of the things I think that we're finding in this day and age when truth has been thrown out and truth is being redefined, we are finding a tremendous reestablishing of terminology. And that's exactly what's happening here. This is not a change because it is important from the standpoint of understanding what it is. This is a telegraphing, I believe, of a message 
and uh, and it's a message that's going to two different audiences, uh, at least. One is a message to to Israel, and to those who were uh, a part of uh, the support of that peace treaty arrangement, the Abraham Accord, developed during the Trump administration. And by taking out the name Abraham and taking out the word accord uh, and changing it to what they're now ordering at normalization agreement, you are, you are taking out Abraham and the tie to Abraham and Israel. But you are also intertwining, and I think it's interesting, that you're actually, they're actually building in an agreement. Normalization agreement actually sends a message to the, uh, to the Arab world and the enemies of Israel that's actually, um, it's actually uh, a term of incitement. It's, uh, it's a derogatory term, that one that uh, really fuels them up, angers them, because they feel there is no basis for an agreement with them and Israel. So, Jimmy, I, bottom line, there's a lot at play at this. This is not the simple change of two words, Abraham Accord, to normalization agreement. There are multiple messages being sent here, and it's, they're not good messages to either side. Not a good message to Israel, and it's, it's a message of incitement to the Arab world, the enemies of Israel. So this is a big deal, much more than attention is being given to it. Sam, I thought it was interesting that the White House press secretary said that the Trump administration never did anything constructive in the Middle East when they were in office. I wonder if she forgot about Jerusalem being the capital of the Jewish state, moving the U.S. Embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, and, of course, the Abraham Accords. She does not have a very long memory, does she? Well, you know, here again, uh, no, she doesn't. But again, it's back to what I just started with. It's a definition of terms. It's what do you mean by constructive? Well, if it wasn't constructive to the Biden team in the White House, it wasn't constructive to the Obama holdovers because it elevated Israel. It elevated Jerusalem as the capital. It elevated the whole concept of Israel as the democratic leader in the Middle East, and it diminished everything that the Obama administration was doing, was trying to elevate Iran and support Hamas and the Palestinians, actually, and that's what's happening under the Biden administration. So here again, her memory probably was quite good. It's just that she doesn't have a biblical worldview, and she's changing the terms. What she meant was the Abrahamic Accord and Donald Trump was not constructive for Iran, was not constructive for Hamas, and was not constructive for the State Department policies under the Obama administration under or under now the Biden administration. Actually sounds like to some extent she is changing her vocabulary. Well, Sam, I do know that Joe Biden wants to use the term, as you just mentioned, normalizing agreement or normalization agreement. That means in the Middle East, basically a sellout. And in fact, that's what the Palestinians accused the Arab nations who got involved in the Abraham Accords as doing, selling out their cause and selling out the cause of Islam. Your thoughts? Well, what you just said there, that's not your opinion. It's an objective evaluation of the way things are. 
so, the change of these terms would lead a person, to any thinking person, to say, from a political perspective, what are these policy changes, what are these word changes attempting to do? Are they attempting to further the cause of peace in the Middle East? Are they to further the security of Israel or Jerusalem? The answer is no, to the contrary. To the opposite. And that's quite a statement to make, to, to think that an administration and an American president is actually, by the fact that what you just said is true, and they know that this term, normalization agreement, is actually an incitement of throwing gas on a fire, that they're actually leading with policy that leads to war. That's a hard thing for people to figure, but that's exactly what's happening, I believe. Sam, you know, it's strange to me that the Biden administration does not want to use the term Abraham Accords, but at the same time, they're sitting at the table with Iran to give them a nuclear weapon of mass destruction that could be used to attack the Jewish state. Pretty strange, isn't it? Well, it's very strange from the perspective of what an average person would think would be legitimate United States policy. That is true. But again, I don't think we're dealing in those kinds of days, uh, Jimmy. We are in days that increasingly put us right at those time, at the time before, I believe, the return of Christ. As you speak all the time, and as, you, as we just covered on our program this week, when you were on a Stand in a Gap today, spent an eloquent time of explaining these events in terms of biblical prophecy. You know, without having the lens of biblical prophecy, knowing what the final chapter is and how God is going to lay out and orchestrate the last events, what is happening, as we're talking about now, makes absolutely no sense. But when you look at the lens we're talking about, a biblical worldview perspective and a prophetical perspective, then all of a sudden it begins to make sense. But it really makes, it should make everybody sit up and take note because these are not normal days. We know that Joe Biden is on his first foreign trip in his administration. He's in Europe right now. A lot of meetings to take place in the next couple of weeks. But he's having problems, it seems to me, with foreign policy, especially the issue of the Abraham Accords. And you mentioned war just a moment ago. Do you think that the approach of the Biden administration could actually lead to war in the Middle East because of this? Uh, I do, without a question, because all of the elements that we're talking about now are strengthening the hands of Iran and their allies, Hamas. But, but now you've got Egypt changing positions. You've got Turkey that's waiting to the north. You have all of these things, and everything that the Biden policies are doing are diminishing the leadership and the security of Israel and elevating the visibility and strengthening the hand of the enemies at Israel. But I can't, I have to mention this as well, because I don't believe that what we're talking about is a potential conflict of of enormous magnitude in the Middle East with this administration, but we're also witnessing unfolding about at the same speed is a potential major conflict with China and Taiwan in the South China Sea, and major changes, as the president is up in Europe right now, changes with Russia and uh, Ukraine and the pipeline and Europe. Literally, 
this president is putting policies in place that are at this juncture bringing together and uh, bringing into focus perhaps three extraordinarily large explosive areas of potential conflict. Any one of them could lead to world war. All of them are happening almost simultaneously, and this administration seems to be putting its, uh, uh, its, its foot to the pedal and accelerating all of these things simultaneously. I think the convergence of these events just simply have to be viewed with an with a elevated level of um, interest. And, dear friends, what Sam just said is basically echoing what Jesus Christ said in the Olivet Discourse, wars and rumors of wars in the last days, nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom, Matthew chapter 24. Sam, thank you for your insight. I knew if we had a political question, I could go to you because of your experience as a politician and being the president of the American Pastors Network, and in fact, also being on national radio and television gives you great insight as you prepare for those programs as well. Thank you, my good friend. We'll talk again real soon. Thank you, Jimmy. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back after the news, we'll have David James, one more broadcast partner. We'll focus on support for the State of Israel and what one evangelical is saying about what Christians should do. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And we're going into our last half hour. That will give me 90 minutes, if you stay with us, to give you the world and the events in this world that may well be setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. As I said in the previous two half hours, sorry that my summer cold has attacked my voice. And I hope you have been able to put up with it as we talked with our broadcast partners. We have a poll question that I would certainly love to have you answer, if you will. Go to my website, prophecytoday.com. Go to my home page. And on the left-hand column, as you scroll down, you'll find the poll question. Here it is. Do you believe that Christians must stand with the Jewish people and the nation of Israel, the Jewish state, no matter who the prime minister of Israel might be? That's the poll question. Be sure to answer it. And I would suggest you bookmark my website. It's information you need on a daily basis to stay up to date on what God is doing prophetically in this world. Remember that we look at current events in light of biblical prophecy. We now bring David James to this broadcast table. David and I have a weekly conversation. It's a key conversation for Christians because we address an issue 
that you need and I need to have a biblical basis for understanding how we should approach and deal with that particular issue. So glad that David can join us on a weekly basis. And David, as we always do, we're going to start with a question from one of our listeners. And this week we received one that is in the realm of spiritual warfare, which is real, of course, but a battle in which we need to engage biblically. Is that correct? That's right, Jimmy. And this is what our listener wrote. I hear a lot of my friends say, I rebuke you, devil, in the name of Jesus. Can you please explain this? So, Jimmy, this is a common approach to spiritual warfare in most charismatic circles. We do see Jesus rebuking Satan and other demons in several places. For example, when he was tempted in Matthew chapter 4, when he healed an epileptic in Matthew 17, and then in Mark 1 when he healed a demon-possessed man. And there, of course, uh, are others. And when this is put together with passages where Jesus gives authority over demons to the apostles in Matthew 10 and the 70 in Luke 10, they conclude that this is for every believer, but it's not. Those are unique cases. Uh, believers are to take a defensive stance to hold our ground, and, uh, but not to go on the offense. Uh, that's the nature of the armor of God in Ephesians 6, for example. And in James 4, 7, and 8, we read, Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. And then in Jude 9, we read this, uh, Yet Michael, the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. So, Jimmy, we're to stand firm in the faith and submit to the Lord, and he will provide the protection we need from the enemy. Very, very good answer to that great question, and we need to know how to deal with the devil, especially in these the last days. Well, David, this week, an outspoken pro-Israel journalist and author named Mike Evans has been in the news for what I would call over-the-top rants, uh, to put it mildly, about Israel's recent elections. Give us the details. Well, you're right, Jimmy, and many have been shocked and saddened by his vitriol, and I understand why, and in fact, I would say it's even been just a a bit weird at times. Uh, Last Friday, Evans wrote a blog for the Times of Israel with the title, Israel's Striptease Show, with a byline that reads, These fools destroy everything we evangelicals have sacrificed our lives to build. I will use every bit of my energy and power to destroy them before they destroy the nation. And in his very strange opening paragraph, he wrote this, Striptease is a form of entertainment in which a performer gradually undresses to music in a way intended to sexually entice others. This Israeli election is indeed a striptease show, with the pathetic part being that those in it are unpleasant, vulgar, and disgusting. And then he went on to say, again, very odd, he says, there's nothing erotic about them except them being delusional. Their obsessions have made them believe they are the darling, seductive princesses that everyone is gloating over. And then in the comment section, Jimmy, one reader said this, you do not speak for pro-Israel Christians, Mike. In fact, it appears you only speak of and for yourself. Your outrage over how Israelis have voted 
does not represent the rest of us. And then she continued with this. Whenever I hear anyone making the comment that someone is, quote-unquote, destroying everything we evangelicals have sacrificed our lives to build, I know the speaker has gone off the rails of the spiritual calling for Christians to stand with Israel. And Jimmy, I thought that was a good comment and observation. I believe the exact same thing, David, and I'm thankful for that particular comment from that reader. You know, I think it might be helpful for our listeners to know something about Mike Evans. What can you tell us about him? Well, Mike Evans is a journalist and author of over 40 books, and he's produced 18 documentaries based on his books. He also provides commentary and analysis on Middle East affairs on both radio and television. Uh, he's the founder and director of several nonprofit organizations, including the Jerusalem Prayer Team, the Friends of Zion Fellowship Center in Jerusalem, and the Corey Ten Boom Fellowship in the Netherlands, which he formed after purchasing and restoring the Corey Ten Boom House. Uh, Evans' parents immigrated to the United States from the Soviet Union before he was born in 1947, and while his mother was Jewish, his Gentile father has been described as an abusive alcoholic who was very anti-Semitic. Evans apparently became a believer around age 11, and he graduated from Southwestern Assemblies of God College, which says something about his theology. And about a year ago, Jimmy, we discussed a new book by Evans at the time in which he claimed that David Wilkerson had given a prophecy related to the COVID pandemic years before it happened, and that's a prophecy that Wilkerson's Times Square Church has apparently never heard about. And in that book, Evans promoted Wilkerson's prophecy that the plague would lead to a great awakening, something that hasn't happened and shows no signs of happening, and I would say that makes them both false prophets, unfortunately. Unfortunately, that is true. Well, the day before the Times of Israel blog, Evans wrote an open letter to Israel's incoming prime minister, Neftali Bennett. I think this letter was very troubling. What are your thoughts, David? I agree, and Evans began his letter this way. Dear Mr. Bennett, what a disgusting disappointment you turned out to be. I thought Menachem Begin was your hero. You've disgraced his name. Shame on you. Don't ever call yourself a defender of Zion. You're not. And then he continued with, you betrayed the very principles that a generation gave their blood for and died for. You want to be in bed with the Muslim Brotherhood and leftists. God have mercy on your soul. And then Evans wrote, you are a pathetic, bitter little man, so obsessed with destroying Netanyahu that you're willing to damage the state of Israel for your worthless cause. And then amazingly, Jimmy, using expletives, he said this, we gave you four years of miracles under Donald Trump, and this is how you show your appreciation, blanking on our face. How dare you? And then he concluded with, to say I'm disgusted with you is an understatement. You care more about your own blank ego and your bitterness than you do about the state of Israel. Now, Evans has since apologized for his harsh statements and rude language, but Jimmy, this is all very troubling coming from someone who claims to be a pro-Israel believer in Jesus Christ and a leader in the Christian community. Uh, oh, and he, he also wrote a letter to the Knesset published by IsraelNationalNews.com on Friday, 
appealing for them to seek the Lord in humility and prayer. But it was so long and rambling and disjointed that no one, I don't think anyone is going to take this seriously. You know, David, there was another article in the Times of Israel by an Orthodox rabbi who had a very interesting perceptive on Natali Bennett and pushed back hard against Mike Evans. Give us the details. Well, that article was by a man named Tuli Weiss and had the title, Mike Evans is no friend of Zion. And then he had this to say, as an Orthodox rabbi who works every day for the support of Israel with evangelical Christians, I never thought I would hear something so shocking. And then he went on to say this, Dr. Mike Evans publicly attacked Israel's Prime Minister-elect, Naftali Bennett, with harsh, vulgar language and threatened to withdraw the support of 77 million evangelical Christians from Israel because he didn't like Bennett's politics. And let me just continue with this article, Jimmy. Uh, A defender of Zion is someone who puts his life on the line for the Jewish people, like Naftali Bennett has done repeatedly as the leader of an elite IDF army unit. And a defender of Zion is someone who thinks day and night about Israel's security, as Naftali Bennett has done as defense minister of the state of Israel. And I will tell you who is not a friend of Zion, someone who literally takes out ads and billboards calling himself the largest evangelical leader in the world, end quote, and then publicly attacks, threatens, and delegitimizes Israel's democratically elected prime minister. And finally, uh, this man wrote, around the world, Israel is under attack by radical Islamists and the mainstream media, and the last thing we need is to come under attack by our Christian friends. So it was very powerful, I thought. Very, very powerful. Well, David, despite this hot rhetoric from Mike Evans, it certainly does not seem to represent all pro-Israel evangelicals. And as suggested by one of the commentators on the blog article that you quoted just a bit earlier, that does not seem the case that Mike Evans has been chosen to speak for all of us who are evangelical and pro-Israel. Well, that's right. He definitely does not. The Times of Israel reported that Evans had lambasted the unity government before a confirmation vote on Sunday, uh, calling them a coalition of Arab anti-Zionists and post-Zionists who will, quote-unquote, wave a white flag and surrender to radical Islam. And they quoted him as saying that Bibi Netanyahu is the only man in the world that unites evangelicals. But, Jimmy, yet on Thursday, the Jerusalem Post ran an article with the title, Christians pledge unconditional support for Israel at prayer breakfast. And, and Jimmy, even though this was held at the Friends of Zion Museum that Evans founded, the event had been kicked off at the Knesset the day before, and a letter was read that stated this, We, the undersigned evangelical Christian leaders, want to reaffirm our unwavering support for the nation and people of Israel, And the letter continued with this, we want to further affirm that this steadfast support for Israel shared throughout our global constituencies is not dependent on the government chosen by the people of Israel. And apparently, parting ways with Evans, it read, we respect Israel as a democratic state which has the sovereign right to elect its own leaders. We further recognize that as foreign guests in Israel, it is not our place to interfere in Israeli politics, 
but rather to stand in friendship and solidarity with the people of Israel and their elected government. So I thought that was a good statement. Very good statement. And David, I think this was a very important report. Some may come at us and say, well, why did you not go to Mike Evans privately? Well, he went public, therefore we have justification for going public as well. Thank you for your research into this discussion, David. Appreciate it so much. We'll be back here next week for another such discussion. Thanks, Jimmy. I'll look forward to being with you then. We're going to take a quick break when we come back. I'm going to open up my Bible. We'll take a look at the book as we focus on the issues reported to us by our broadcast partners. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hey everyone, this is Dave James with the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. You hear me each week discussing current theological issues with Jimmy DeYoung on the Prophecy Today weekend broadcast. We founded the Alliance for Biblical Integrity because we saw a need for an apologetics and discernment ministry that would be an important resource for local churches, schools, and ministry organizations that face ever-changing theological challenges in today's world. I teach many different courses and seminars in the United States and around the world and can tailor the seminars for Sunday schools, Bible studies, and church services, and the courses for weekend conferences of 6 to 10 hours. For more information, you can go to the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org. That's one word, biblicalintegrity.org, and click on Courses and Seminars on the main menu. You can also contact me personally through the contact page on the ABI website. I look forward to hearing from you. Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible prophecy student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on Bookstore, or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. Let me first say I'm very sorry about the sound of my voice, but my summer cold seems to have attacked my voice, and I hope it'll be better next week. Thank you for putting up with the sound. Today on PTIB, I went once again to my broadcast partners around the world for the details behind current events happening around this world that may well be setting the stage for God's prophetic scenario found in the Bible to be fulfilled. 
These are reports that you will not hear on mainstream media. In a moment, I will give you my prophetic perspective on these news stories. But let me remind you that if you had to miss any of these reports from my broadcast partners, please go to prophecytoday.com, then to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network, where we have archived all of these reports so that these reports can be listened to at your convenience later on. And do me a favor, please tell a friend about these reports. They need to hear them as well. That's prophecytoday.com, Prophecy Today Radio Network. Now, here is my prophetic perspective on these reports. Ken Temmerman, who covers geopolitical activities with us, brought to our attention that President Biden actually warned the Russian leader Vladimir Putin before the upcoming meeting between the two world leaders to not get involved actively before the meeting. You know, a Biden-Putin meeting from a political perspective is not good for America. And prophetically, it's not good as well for the United States because the United States is not mentioned in Bible prophecy. Russia is, Ezekiel 38, 2, and they will play a key role in the end-time scenario found in God's Word. David Dolan gives us his Middle East news update on a weekly basis. He talked today about religious Jews in Israel that are saying the new Prime Minister, Naftali Bennett, is an evil man. Remember, 30% of the body politic of Israel is religious, orthodox. 50% of the entire population is God-conscious. That division in Israel could well lead to a second Jewish state that is foretold in Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 15 to 23. Winky Madad once again came to the broadcast table talking to us about the new government which is very unstable, and actually how it could fall in the very near future. Not only could an unstable government fall apart very quickly, but it is also an invitation for the enemies of the Jewish state to attack this Jewish state. That's Ezekiel chapter 38. John Rood covers the European Union for us. And John told us about the G7 meeting in Great Britain. Without China being there, however, they seem to be the elephant in the room. The G7 political union actually fits into the prophetic scenario of Daniel chapter 7 and verse 7, the revived Roman Empire, and China, Revelation chapter 16 and verse 12, two major players in the end-time prophetic perspective in the news today. 
Sam Rohr, who is the president of the American Pastors Network and host of radio and television programs, Stand in the Gap Today, talked about President Biden's opposition to the term Abraham Accords, and in fact, we decided this could lead to a Middle East war very soon. You know, with the Abraham Accords in place, the prophetic scenario is that these peace accords will fall apart. Daniel 9.27 reveals that the Antichrist will then appear to confirm, to strengthen, to make strong these peace agreements. President Biden's actions against these Abraham Accords could indeed lead to war in the Middle East. And David James came to talk with me about Mike Evans. He is a resident in Israel, and we talked about his unchristlike attacks on the incoming prime minister, and then we concluded that each of us as Christians must support the Jewish state, whoever the prime minister may be. Genesis chapter 12 and verse 3 says, If we bless the Jews, we will be blessed, and if we curse them, we will be cursed. That blessing Israel is to be done no matter who the prime minister is. But let me remind you that if you had to miss any of these reports from my broadcast partners, please go to prophecytoday.com, then to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network, where we have archived all of these reports so that these reports can be listened to at your convenience later on. And do me a favor, please tell a friend about these reports. They need to hear them as well. That's prophecytoday.com, Prophecy Today Radio Network. Each and every of these reports from my broadcast partners was today tangible evidence that God's plan for the future is coming better into focus each and every day. The next prophecy to be fulfilled will be the rapture of the church. And that rapture actually can happen at any moment, even today. And having said that, nothing left for me to say except let's keep looking up until. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today. Mm-hmm.